Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hi, everyone. I'm Zen Su, tech reporter at the South China Morning Post. Last week, we did our first webinar, where SCMP tech editor Chua Kong-ho interviewed AutoX founder and CEO Xiao Jianxiong, who's also known as Professor X. They discussed the current state of autonomous driving in China and what the future of the industry might look like. We thought you might be interested in hearing their discussion. So here's the show. From South China Morning Post, this is Inside China Tech. Insights into what matters. Come work for us because we are 996. Are you okay? I started Alibaba 1999 in my apartment. What's your problem? Speed and data. And that's where China comes in. Here's your host, Chua Kong Ho. Prof X is the founder and CEO of AutoX, a company that is working on self-driving vehicles. Before AutoX, he was an assistant professor at Princeton and the founding director of the university's computer vision and robotics lab from 2013 to 2016. He received his PhD from the computer science and AI lab at MIT in 2013. He was named by MIT Tech Review as one of the 35 innovators under 35 in 2017. Profax also has a very strong Hong Kong connection, having received his bachelor's and master's degrees from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology in 2009. Welcome, Profax. Thank you. So just some housekeeping before we start. We will be answering questions from the participants near the end of the session. So please feel free to ask Profax what you want to know about autonomous driving, and we will try to answer them. So without further ado, Autonomous cars. Engineers have been working on self-driving cars for close to a century. The very first versions were, by today's standards, very crude. They are more like life-sized remote control cars. So through the decades, there have been numerous attempts to make cars follow things like magnets or other kinds of sensors embedded in roads or on the side of roads to follow lane markings and so forth. So, Profax, uh, perhaps we can start by having you give us a broad overview of the current state of autonomous driving and what advances can we expect in the near future? Certainly. Uh, I have been working on autonomous driving for more than a decade. I witnessed a lot of changes. I think we're right now at the, at the tipping point that is finally getting to the right way. <laughs> uh, it, the reason why we can do that is because of there's a few breakthroughs in the past past decade. Uh, there are two major ones in terms of the algorithm. Uh, one, the first one is because of the HD mapping, because we have high definition 3D mapping. And P this is a great idea that people realize with this HD mapping, we can significantly increase the reliability of autonomous driving. The second one is the revolution of deep learning, in particular 3D deep learning. 
the deep learning revolution in 2012 enabled us to really crunch in a lot of data and use those data to train very robust algorithms for object recognition, for object prediction, and to provide very good perception capability for self-driving car. Of course, this is just one of the uh, two of the technology on the surface. But underlying that surface, there's also a lot of other technology that enable what we have today. One thing is really because of the big data. People see the great value of the huge amount of data. And this is a very simple idea, but it actually takes uh, the artificial intelligence community for uh, a few decades to finally figure out that this is actually the secret sauce. And with so much data, it's only possible when you have a lot of computation power. So in the past uh, decade, because of the significant increase of computation power, both in CPU, in GPU, in deep learning accelerator, all this enable us to crunch in that much data to enable to build this. So I would say that uh, autonomous driving, why very recently getting uh, almost on the, always on the headline, is not just because of people like autonomous driving, people always like autonomous driving. It's really also because of the technologies getting more and more mature and at the tipping point that finally this could become a reality. Uh, I would say that this is an exciting time to be in, in the history of uh, uh, human, human civilization. Finally, we're about to build a machine that can drive cars very safely. So the secret source is data, lots of data, and the computing power to crunch that data in yeah. order to make all these algorithms uh, to sense all these different scenarios that go into uh, autonomous driving. So how far are we, purely from a technological point of view, from true autonomous vehicles? Uh, here I'm talking about vehicles that you can literally step into, fall asleep, and they will bring you from point A to point B without intervention at all, and without getting involved in a collision with whatever is out there on the road. So uh, it, for autonomous driving, what you are describing is the so-called level four autonomous driving, which is a completely driverless self-driving car. You can literally remove the driver and do nothing uh, at all. Uh, that's level four autonomy. For level four autonomy, there's also a lot of applications, that, of course, including that uh, you can do it in airport for logistics, you can do it in university campus, you can do it in uh, urban setting. And what you were referring to is more like the robot taxi. Like in a city environment, you can get a car, uh, just like Uber or DD, and get into the car and then go to the destination. I would say that uh, speaking uh, more from the industrial perspective, this question is very challenging, but at the same time, it's getting more and more mature. Uh, I would say overall, it also depends on the geolocation because different countries, different cities, they have different level of complexity in terms of driving. If you are talking about U.S., I would say that for most uh, suburban setting in U.S., it is getting really close. It's really a matter of one or two years uh, to, to, to really get there. And this is not speaking of uh, for our company, but more like for the whole industry. Like when I, I have many friends in this industry for a very long time, and people all completely agree that in one or two years, in U.S. urban setting, robot taxi will be a reality, uh, technically, yeah. But of course, it could be some business uh, challenge and other challenge, but pure technically, that's it is. Um, but for, for China, I would say that is the driving is slightly more complicated. It may take a little bit more time, but it's not much longer. It should be like a similar time frame, uh, probably into, uh, in three to five years time frame, we'll 
will receive massive amount of uh, deployment for robot taxi, uh, at least in one of the cities in China. What about, um, you were talking about campuses uh, and kind of um, environments where maybe there are you know, fewer cars, uh, less complicated kind of driving conditions. Uh, a port, for example, an airport, like you said. Uh, how far away from, from that? You mentioned one to two years for US suburbs um, for robot taxis, three to five years maybe for China. Uh, what about for this more restricted, uh, you know, easier uh, environment? It really depends on the definition. Right? Uh, it could be already happened. Like for example, if, if people take a subway, literally the subway system, they can just drive autonomously. So this is really, the devil is in the detail. Right? When we define that right, for a part, I would say that it's very easy. Right? The, but the problem could be is not really because of the technical challenge. It's more on the business side. Does it make sense to really automate that part? Um, for airport, I would say that it's the technology also really there. Uh, it's really more about the non-technical part there. Uh, that, that may slightly slow down the adaption. Uh, but if you nail down the problem to be an extremely simple problem, the technologies have been here uh, for a while. Mm. Uh, so when people, the reason why many people still feel that it's not here yet is really still feel that it's really the robot taxi, which is the, the, the holy grail for self-driving cars. Yeah, the robot taxi is not here yet. Right. That's why people do not see as various aspects. Like for example, for many, many factories, Right now, a lot of factory inside the factory, they have those AGVs. In, in that sense, it's the simplest way of autonomous driving, uh, but it's just the AGV. Yes, I was in a, I was in a Xiaomi uh, smartphone production line, and yeah. they were moving uh, components from uh, place to place uh, with, you know, with accuracy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say that those things are commonly, people do not believe they are autonomous driving, because it, once you are in a port or in a, in a, in a factory, you're getting oversimplified. Right. Like there are no people is that a driverless part of horse, there's no human. <laughs> mm. But what are the uh, technological hurdles that we still have to cross to get to uh, this level four and beyond? Uh, there's actually no, uh, nothing difficult in terms of the science. We, for the science part, we figure out everything. Uh, building a product is always, you need to figure out the science part, you need to figure out the engineering part. Is that the science part for a rocket? Right? We know how to build a rocket, but to build a rocket it still takes a long time, all the engineering effort to do that. Like for example, several decades ago, human society managed to build a rocket to go to the moon, right? But even today, you know how to go to the moon, it still take, if you want to go to the moon again, it still takes a, a few years to build those, uh, uh, build the rocket to actually go to, to land on the moon. So similar here is that for the science for autonomous driving, there's no open and remaining question. We figure everything out. The difficulty is that even if you know the uh, science, if you build a, build a product, a reliable product, 100% safe, that's like tons of detail. There's so many details, uh, so many different components. You have to get them all perfect and then always reliable because uh, for level four autonomous driving safety is the most critical thing. That's what it takes so much time. That's why uh, a lot of companies, uh, including uh, uh, the, the industrial leader like Waymo or like company, uh, like the major player like us, uh, AutoX, uh, mm. we all, right now, most of our task is really on testing, gathering data, and figure out what is the imperfection is, and what is the corner cases, and 
resolve those corner cases one by one. It's going to take some time to well test this and make sure it's worked perfectly. I'll come back to the business case for autonomous driving uh, later in the in the webinar. But um, let's talk about safety. Uh, you know, how safe uh, are autonomous vehicles currently compared to, to human drivers? Because obviously you were talking about uh, driverless ports, uh, you know, um, and those don't really involve uh, human passengers. And I think one of the key concerns is, uh, you know, surrounding uh, self-driving vehicles is how, how safe is it? Yeah, I would say that uh, it's difficult to uh, name it this way. Uh, it, uh, for 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 a port, uh, this kind of thing is probably already much safer than human being because the scenario is very simple. And computer never get tired, never never get any distraction, so it actually could be safer. But for that robot taxi, uh, I would say that it's at a similar level of auto with human and, and computer. The, but it's just going to make a different kinds of mistake. The mistake human make are going to be very different from the mistake that computer make. The mistake computer make, some human may consider it to be really, really stupid. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. But uh, the the mistake that human make, the computer may never make. Uh, humans still get tired, get distracted, uh, get impatient, uh, get a uh, road rage, for example, and then computer never do that. The computers yeah. don't get road rage. Yeah, yeah certainly. <laughs> what, kind, what kind of mistakes that humans would think uh, are kind of stupid that computers uh, still make? Yeah, I think one of the very challenging problems is uh, that, for example, you have very crazy objects, that you have a plastic bag flying on the sky. Is this a plastic bag or is this a rock? It's still going to be very challenging. So, so should the car stop for the plastic bag or should the car just run over? Right. Uh, usually, even honestly, even for human beings, it's not that smart. A lot of people just take a chance a lot of time. I mean, most drivers, if you test that limit, they just take a chance. It's not necessarily pure rational. Uh, mm. They just, okay, okay, oh, that thing is small, I just run. <laughs> but, uh, but humans would, I mean, you know, through all our years of, you know, upbringing and all that, we would, I guess, instinctively know that there's a plastic bag. It will not, not hurt necessary. a Even car. Sometimes humans cannot tell whether what it is. Right. Because it, it could be a dirty plastic bag, it, like it could be anything. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, this kind of problem is, takes time and data to change. Mm. And we believe that actually with more and more data, the computer can actually understand that better because humans do not pay all the attention uh, to every single object. While the com computer have so much computation power, they can see about everything in greater details. Okay, we have, we have a question uh, uh, from one of uh, you know, our, our participants and I and think, you know, let's, let's go to one of them. Um, Certainly. Uh, uh, this uh, is a question from Chris. Um, can you tell us more about the development of autonomous trucks um, in China and how that compares to developments here in the US? And are your estimates for robo trucks the same as for robo taxis in the US and China? Uh, that's a very good question. I think technology-wise, honestly, there's not much different. It's really technology-wise uh, for robot taxi or for robot trucks, they share like 90 99% of the technology. That's why companies like, such as like Google, like Waymo, they have their robot taxi. At the same time, they also have a ro robot trucks. <laughs> mm -hmm. At the same time, it's because they share so much technology. It's just 
more at the product definition is slightly different. They have to tune the, the parameter different for, for different kinds of vehicle. But in terms of the business wise, it's actually a, there's a huge difference. Like for, for robot taxi, I would say the business is similar between China and US. It's very, very close because in China and US, there are a lot of cities require taxi. So you can use both. Uh, but for trucking, it's quite different. Uh, one thing for US is because in US, the trucking business is actually probably more easier to get adapted. In US, everyone knows that people concentrate on the West Coast and East Coast. And between the West and East Coast, there's a, a lot of lanes that is, honestly is quite empty. So autonomous driving trucking is pretty, pretty good for that use case because it's almost an empty road. You drive from, from East Coast to West Coast and back and forth. And there are a lot of transportation demand between both coasts. Uh, but in China, it's slightly different because the regulation are going to be create more hurdles for trucking. Uh, it's really because each truck is so heavy. If the truck have a single accident, it could mean many people get killed. That's a huge, huge disaster. So the safety standard, the safety requirement level for trucking is much higher. So for places with higher population density, the trucking is always going to be more conservative in terms of regulation. So in China, it's going to be much cha more challenging to really have trucking, auto driving trucking being accepted by the government to really do large scale. In US, it's similar. For example, even in California, uh, even in California, even today, large scale trucking, uh, large heavy trucks, self driving uh, is not allowed in, for testing in California. Hmm. Only in certain states that's much less population, they allow uh, 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 the self-driving trucks uh, in those states. I, I think Too Simple uh, is yeah, yeah. Uh, doing it in Arizona, yeah, which one is of basically, the yeah. basically desert, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a desert highway. But it makes sense because it, there are a lot of business use cases right. in, in, in U.S. for those those scenarios. But in China, it's just very difficult to find those places. I think, I think uh, Too Simple, if I remember correctly, they're also testing... Um, uh, in the Shanghai uh, Yangshan oh, yeah. Deep Port, yeah. which is kind of like connected by a like really long uh, land bridge, so that is that is what we were talking about earlier, uh, kind of the like port, a controlled yeah. setting, uh, where you know there there are not that many variables, but you know to to actually replace the uh, the uh, rig drivers, you know, going from you know, northeast China to to Fujian is going to take. A while more, yeah, in China, it's also even more difficult because on the highway, the regulation, different segment of highway belong to different cities. So you pretty much get, need to get approval across all the cities along the highway, every single one, in order to really get, get, get the approval for the whole highway. That's also very challenging. And in U U.S., actually, uh, the, the, the state in the, in, the, in the middle is actually a very big state. Mm. Uh, so they can actually enable a very long highway. Right. Uh, to be autonomous driving. Yeah, because you, you, you always hear these horrendous stories of uh, truck drivers in, in China falling asleep and then the whole thing just goes off into a ditch or, you know, or killing someone uh, on and off. So, yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. But, uh, but for truck driving, for autonomous driving in, in China, it's also very difficult because mm -hmm. a lot of trucks, they have to go through all kinds of roads. It's not necessarily a badly well-constructed highway from the north to the to the south continuous. They have to switch between different highway mm. and they have a lot, we also have a lot of those toys, right? The toil that you need to pay money, those toys sometimes you need to pay manually still. 
I thought everything's on WeChat now, no? <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's still right. a lot of things need to internal infrastructure to, to catch up. Right. So we, we talked about safety. Um, uh, I think kind of a related uh, question to that really is a liability, right? So where, where does liability lie in the event of an accident of death or injury or damage? Uh, or in other words, who do you sue, you know? Do you sue the car maker, the truck maker? Do you sue the tech company that provides the algorithms or the company that provides the sensors? I mean, you know, where, where do you stand on the, on the liability issue? You think? I think in general, the insurance company take care of it. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's like, this is actually a new industry, like autonomous driving insurance. A lot of uh, company in insurance industry, they have uh, business in this. So in terms of, uh, so who is paying the insurance company paying? But actually, when when we but what the insurance company does is usually they just after you have incident they increase your insurance fee, right? But who to increase? Whether it's the car or it's the self-driving AI company or it's actually the sensor company, it really depends on the incident. The good thing for autonomous driving is every self-driving car we usually design a black box. Within the black box, we have all the data recorded in greater detail. We can replace everything. We can understand which step actually create a problem. If the car have some malfunction causing a problem, or is the sensor have the malfunction of the problem, or is the AI company have the algorithm have some uh, defect in that. So we can actually use those data to replace and recreate a scenario and truly pinpoint the problem mm. in a very fair way. And then after that, I think the insurance company is going to, for that, according to that company, they're going to increase the insurance fee according mm -hmm. to the statistic data. Right. We're getting a few uh, uh, tech-related uh, tech questions on autonomous driving uh, from our participants. I'll just uh, uh, pick one of them. Um, uh, how important is a uh, satellite connection for driverless uh, navigation? And uh, how do you see the evolution uh, with regard to driverless transport of information networks like satellite navigation, information updates about road conditions. Um, I guess to, to rephrase, uh, this was one of the questions we kind of uh, talked about uh, before, before uh, the session uh, 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 about whether the sensing is done at the edge, uh, at the vehicle level, or does it take place kind of like a, in a centralized uh, cloud level? Uh, and how important is that is that speed of connection uh, for driverless, uh, uh, you know, navigation? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think for autonomous driving, safety is the number one priority. It's always the number one priority. So to in ensure safety, always get guarantee. Uh, we need to think about the worst case scenario. So uh, the whole system have to build uh, to make sure even under worst case scenario is always safe. So the worst case scenario is there's no connection at all. No matter what technology, whether it's satellite uh, connection, direct connection, or whether it's GPS, or whether it's, uh, 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 it's 5G network connection, or it's Wi-Fi, whatever, we have to assume there's no connection. Even under worst case scenario, the car has to drive very safely. So that's why within the car, there's the sensor, the computer, uh, we have to ensure redundancy, make sure waiting on the edge, waiting the vehicle. Even without any outside help, the car can still function um, to guarantee the safety parameter. 
um, we did that uh, in mind. It doesn't mean that we're not asking for help. We're not using for help. 5G, V2X, V2V technology could certainly be a very practical way to help to increase the safety even further beyond the single car intelligence, the single car AI. So I would say that this is not too contradicting a uh, story, but uh, it's more like to guarantee 100% safety. We, 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 the industry is moving forward in both directions at the same time. I mean, it's very um, beneficial to each other. So we have this other question, uh, which kind of uh, uh, also parallels the one that I'm, um, I'm going to touch on in terms of training the cars, actually. Um, you know, in sport or any other human activity, uh, you know, when you're learning a new skill, you will fail, uh, fail uh, multiple times, right? Whether it's tennis, rock climbing, you will fail. And then before you learn, and then you hopefully you master it. And um, I think it's a, it's a truism that the more you challenge yourself to harder and harder scenarios or skills, uh, the higher the, the failure rate. Um, you know, one might argue that failing at this stage doesn't really tell you much because uh, it's the end result that, that matters, right? So uh, if anything, if you look at what they're failing at uh, rather than what they're succeeding at, um, it tells a very, very different picture. So I guess the, the, the simple question is, when it comes to autonomous driving, when you look at reports, for example, uh, California DMV's uh, vehicle disengagement rates, uh, you know, is it a necessarily a good result that you have very few human interventions or uh, paradoxically it's actually good that you are having to intervene a lot because you're actually learning? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a very good question. Right? Uh, maybe uh, let's talk about the, the small analogy first. It's mm. exactly that small. That, as I mentioned, uh, the, the, a lot of the, all the top tier self-driving car company like Waymo or like AutoX, we are right now focused on figure out the, all the corner cases and resolve all the corner cases. So it's very crucial to try to do stress tests of the system. It's not just normal tests. We want to try the most difficult scenario to fail the system as quickly as possible, as miserable as possible, so that we can fix those problems. If we don't expose those problems, our system is not improving. Uh, so the, 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 the time when we can actually massively deploy the self-driving car without any safety driver is when we finish all this kind of homework to fix all the problems. So it's very crucial to do that. That's exactly why we, uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, for example, Waymo is doing a lot of testing in San Francisco downtown. And for us, we have been doing a lot of testing in major city in China, like, like in downtown in Shenzhen. Uh, because those data are very useful to, to do stress tests of the system. And we even go beyond just going to very difficult street. We actually also do a lot of simulation. Uh, when we do simulation, we get a crazy kind of traffic to the simulator. Mm. It's not just a simple MTU. No, we actually add tons of objects. It's even more crazier than, than normal street. And we can, you, you can even do a sim simulation for like, almost like a parallel universe. Uh, if this car, the next step, it can make turn left, turn right, or turn, go forward, we will try all possibilities. Because we do brute force uh, a parameter sweeping of all kinds of possible combination of the scenario in order to stress our stress test of the system and to expose the error. Uh, so that, that's exactly just like the analogy you're saying, like just a spot. We have to do that homework to do to make sure the car is safe. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the multiple intervention uh, in the California DMV report, 
that's a, I would say that is an interesting number to look at, but also, like you mentioned, it could be the opposite. It really be a trade-off. Like if MPI is high uh, with multiple intervention, if it's very high in a very challenging street, yeah, sure, that's a great number. But the problem is uh, sometimes uh, a lot of companies, if they just optimize for M MPI, they may end up driving on very simple roads. Right. There's no traffic, or you can drive as long as you want. It's not very meaningful. So, uh, so you're just gaming the exam. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So when the whole point really, is to learn the skill. Yeah, right? exactly. So mm -hmm. it's not really very helpful. So uh, I would say that a lot of a company, they, uh, they are trying to find the right trade-off. They find the right MPI. But as the technology getting more and more mature, I think right now more and more company that way more like us, we are more focused on making the MPI as short as possible. Mm. For example, if your car driving like 30 miles, still cannot find any mistake, or even drive a thousand miles, you cannot find any mistake. That means your, that 1,000 miles is wasted. Mm. It's not useful at all. It's a waste of time, money, and, and, and energy. <laughs> Everything is wasted. So it's really, we have been trying a lot of ways. We go to the downtown in China, uh, to do stress tests, right. we use our simulation to increase the difficulty. Mm. That's a very important step uh, for the MPI. But it really depends on different stage of the company. There, there, there could be some other company that they are not at that stage, at this mature stage yet. So they are still trying to build the basic feature of you the learn, cell. You need to learn how to crawl yeah, before yeah. you go, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so right. for them, it's probably mm. increasing the MPI matters <laughs> more. Mm. So by by this logical argument, with a car that is trained in a more challenging uh, uh, road conditions, like maybe for China, uh, would a China train car kind of uh, uh, be able to drive uh, in the US uh, and vice versa? Uh, a US train car, can it drive safely in China without training in China? Yeah, I think if the car is trained with a Chinese driving scenario, it's going to be, because it's, there's more stress test, it's more likely you can drive very well in the US. But if you, the car is drive, only driving in the U.S., that's a suburban scenario, then, then if it's just trained there, you go, come to drive in China, it's going to be super challenging. It's like not even possible, I would say. It's a crucial, important step that we have to do a lot of testing in China in order to drive in China. Mm. Uh, yeah, because not only is the slow and difficult, but also the driving behavior is also very difficult slightly different because driving is really a social game mm. and you need to adapt to other driver adapt right. to other pedestrian bikers motorcyclers uh so, so it's very crucial to have those data changing mm. changing locally in china and then we can use the data okay. uh to to drive in china <laughs> i want to talk a, a little bit more about auto x uh, your company uh, but first let's just go through very quickly uh, three questions uh from our uh you know, participants, uh, they are tech questions. Um, so uh, maybe we can adjust a brief answers for each. Uh, uh, does 5G really matter to the success of widespread use of autonomous cars? I think 5G, as I mentioned, is a good supplementary, but it's not that without 5G, we cannot drive self-driving car because in, in, in US, you can see that there's no 5G. Waymo has a thousand self-driving car on the street every day. Um, but 5G, I would say, is very crucial for in terms of the massive commercial deployment. Because once you, let's say that if you have one million self-driving car driving on the street, 
who knows what that one million self-driving car doing, right? Those are just like robots that can go anywhere uh, by themselves. So it's very crucial that we have some way to do surveillance of those self-driving cars, not surveillance for people, but surveillance of the car to make sure the system are functioning correctly. It's not that the AI suddenly go crazy. Mm. So to, to do real-time uh, surveillance for those self-driving cars, 5G are very important because 5G create enough bandwidth so that we can stream the data in real time to a central monitoring system to make sure all the cars functionally correctly. Next question, is V2X a necessary infrastructure requirement for flawless navigation support of an AV? Uh, again, it's similar to like 5G. Like V2X is a great supplementary, but it's, you cannot 100% rely on V2X. Uh, what happens if the V2X device goes down or what happens if the signal is not very strong at a certain point? It could be like if you have a huge truck with a metal uh, container, and then your self-driving car is between two trucks, then two metal containers will block the signal, no matter if it's V2X or 5G, then, then the signal will be gone. And then in that way, you still cannot just run a red light, right? So, so that's why redundancy, the single car, for example, using the camera to help is also the camera to recognize the traffic guy is also very crucial. Which actually is a good supplementary, but you cannot replace the camera-based perception. So, so in a nutshell, uh, you are building cars that can run on assumption, run safely on the assumption that they are cut off from the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. And then, right. and then uh, although that's not the normal scenario, that's the worst case scenario, right. but we need to prepare for the worst to make sure it's safe. And then we can add a lot of uh, bonus points on top of that mm. to make even safer like V2X and 5G. Okay, we have a simulation versus a reality, uh, real, real life uh, driving question here, which is quite interesting. Um, it's estimated that over 10 million miles worth of data is the minimum training set required for level five. Uh, this is from our participant. Uh, is this true? And how reliable is the use of simulated training sets to design uh, safety decisions for an AV? Yeah, in terms of the mileage, I think this is also a number that is very difficult to say. Like if you drive on highway, even if you drive 10 million miles or like 100 million miles, it does not really reflect the data. So high quality data is more important than the size of data. So with the high quality data, you increase the size, that would be very, very helpful. Yeah, in terms of simulation, it's crucial. Like simulation, as I mentioned, is almost like a parallel universe. You can brute force, you can try all kinds of things. And then to make sure the self-driving car can function properly under all these conditions. Because any of the conditions could be the real world condition. Uh, so, so simulation is not really the amount, but how you simulate. Again, all this detail, is all, the, the devil is always on these technical details. But simulation in general is very, very crucial mm. to have, say, autonomous driving. So um, I've, uh, this is a more of an investor question. So for an investor, a fund, you know, looking to put money into self-driving startups, and there are so many out there, uh, and they want to uh, have a good assessment of the technology, what should they look at? Is there one single metric or single kind of data point that will give them a fair idea of whether this startup is good or bad? Yeah, it's actually uh, quite easy. Just go to sit in the self-driving car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can see how the car, which environment is driving. Is it in a downtown city or is on highway or is it just on a suburban area with very empty roads? 
if the traffic is very, very complicated, uh, if that, for example, if you go to a very complicated traffic, uh, if the car can drive very well, that means the technology itself is, at least is not that bad, it should be fairly good. But that doesn't seem very scientific. I mean, you're telling a, a, a VC to go sit in a car. Yeah, but you can uh, you can see the area. It's actually right. the easiest way because a lot of scientific, like the number of MPI, for example, a lot of number, there are a lot of details. Right. There are too much detail that who knows what that number means. Right. But so sitting in the car, that's the real practice, right? Yeah, and, um, in, and in a way, we are really talking about uh, humans sitting in driverless cars. So yes. what better way than to actually sit in one? Yeah, yeah. And also at the same time, it's also getting easier to invest every these days, I have to say. Mm. Because although uh in the past few years there could be many companies claim they are working on self-driving cars, uh, but they the, the industry are getting more and more clear that's going that there only remain a few major players in this area. Like in US uh, there are a few major players, in China there are a few major players. So because autonomous driving has a huge barrier, the technology barrier, and also the business barrier, fundraising barrier, because it needs so much manpower, so it needs so much money. Uh, so it's going to become a big boy's game. Uh, the mm -hmm. big boy is not necessary to be a tech driver, but it should not be small enough. <laughs> it's not to, should, should be big enough, it should not be that small. So it's getting easier and easier. Right now, uh, it's getting very few choices that mm -hmm. will be a good investment target. Then, uh, of course, uh, there is not the end game yet, so it's not sure who, who will be the final winner, but it's almost like a semi-final, you know, who will be running the, the winner. Uh, yeah, so it's getting easier and easier. Is, is it going to be like other, other parts of tech where the number one gets 90% of the market and then you kind of have to fight it out for the rest? Uh, it's not that extreme. Mm. I would say that it's, for each market, maybe in China, there will be a few players, mm. a, a few winners. In the US, there will be a few separate winners. But it's not going to be one or two. It could be up to like three or four. But at the same time, it's unlikely there will be many players because to make the final cell driving is almost like build a rocket to the moon. Right. It's going to be have only a small number of companies have that talent have the people and also have the uh, money and also have the right management execution to really get there. Mm. So, so it, it will be a, a few players, but not a small number, I would say under less than five players will be winning. Mm. Uh, but definitely it's unlikely to be only one. Mm. We have about five minutes uh, more. Uh, I, I want to spend it uh, kind of talking about AutoX uh, itself. Uh, you recently got a robo taxi license in uh, California and I think uh, you're launching one as well uh, in Shanghai. Um, are there any other kind of uh, initiatives in the works? Yeah, yeah. we're also working together with uh, city of Shenzhen to really, uh, because Shenzhen, as we all know, that they have a great advantage is they have this independent lawmaking capability uh, among all the other cities in China. So it's very likely that they could uh, 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 have the potential to really become one of the earliest adapters for self-driving car uh, in China. So th that's why we have been doing a lot of testing. We have a huge uh, free running there every day, gathering data. We're also uh, talking to a government official. Mm. We are the first company that passed the Shenzhen self-driving test. Uh, Shenzhen recently have their own, uh, they just built up an a internal testing uh, uh, place in, inside the city as well. So, so that, that's a lot of things still going on. And we're very excited to see those opportunities that we can really have commercial 
how do you compare with the other uh, self-driving uh, companies uh, uh, in China? Um, uh, I'm thinking of uh, obviously Baidu with its Apollo uh, driving platform as well as uh, Pony.ai, which is uh, founded by ex Baidu engineers. I mean, what, what, what are the key differences? Yeah, yeah, you are, you are asking a very good question. I think those companies like Baidu and Pony, uh, and AutoX, it's true that I mentioned it's becoming more and more clear that, that who is the semi, semi-final winners. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, those are the all very good companies, uh, very solid companies. I would say that in terms of the technology, there are two major things that make us different. One is our technology is more focused on learning-based AI, where our technology uh, is less about human handcraft uh, features and human handcraft rules but using a lot more machine learning, a lot more deep learning that can crunch in tons of data to make it smart. The other thing that different uh, from us and theirs, I would say that is that we are more on the hardware and software integrated approach. We're not just a pure software company because we believe that uh, to build a reliable self-driving uh, system, it's very crucial that a lot of hardware adaptation need to be done. Uh, for example, you have camera, you have LiDAR, you have different kind of sensors. How do you do the sensor synchronization? You need to, to get it to the hardware level. So, so under one millisecond synchronization in order to you really go to the detail, to really get the performance to be the best. Yeah, and that's one thing. The other thing in terms of the commercial one, I think the major difference is that we have a lot of endorsement from the auto industry like Shanghai Auto, the biggest Chinese car manufacturer, they are our investor. And Dongfeng Motor, the second largest Chinese car manufacturer, they are also one of our major investors as well. Mm-hmm. So we have these kind of strategic partnerships. And very recently, we also uh, invest by, by Alibaba's uh, entrepreneur fund. So we also uh, have a lot of use case, such as in, not just in robot taxi, but also in logistics. A lot of package need to deliver every day. This could be a very good use case for self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. And here, uh, I just want to have this disclaimer that uh, Alibaba uh, is the owner of the South China Morning Post. Uh, ProfX, uh, can I, you know, just for transparency. Yeah, yeah, right? I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can I, can I just, I just have one uh, last question for you really. Uh, can I ask you to complete this uh, following sentence? Uh, by the time I retire, self-driving cars will be everywhere. Alright, so that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed this episode or have any questions about tech in China, do let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Zensu. And if you want to read more stories about China tech, do head on to scmp.com slash tech. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.